Well, hello. As we enter into this holiday season, I want to help you get in the mood. So if you'll close your eyes, I want to paint a picture for you. You wake up on Christmas Day feeling well-rested, which is odd because normally you feel like someone smacked you in the face with a shovel. It's 9 a.m., no one's screaming at you about breakfast or opening presents. Your nostrils are warmly greeted by the scent of cinnamon and pine coming from your living room. You walk into the living room, open your curtains to see the sun glistening over the snow in your yard amidst all of your Christmas decorations. The coffee pot is freshly brewed, and so you pour yourself a cup and wrap both of your hands gently around the mug, embracing the warmth. And you just sit there thanking the Lord for all of the blessings in your life. The wonderful people you work with, your awesome neighbors, how great work is going lately. And to top it all off, you get comfy on the couch and turn, turn on your favorite Christmas movie. White Christmas, Elf, Die Hard, whatever it is for you. You can open your eyes. Isn't that nice? Isn't that a nice fantasy? Because I think a more accurate picture would be something like this. You're jolted awake by your alarm on Christmas Day after yet another night of restlessness. It's 5 a.m. You rise out of bed with a grunt and an eye roll. The kids, your spouse, or your dog is signaling to you their hunger, and you smell something rancid in the house only to realize it's you as you reach your arm into the cupboard for the ibuprofen and icy hot for the day for the latest moans and groans. The yard is a slushy, leafy mess that is absent of Christmas decorations because of how much overtime you've been working lately. The program coffee pot still doesn't work, and you burn yourself when you spilled some on you because you were so appalled by the latest news story. That politician is being a bozo yet again. Your favorite supervisor, favorite supervisor, gives you a call, lets you know that you need to come in today while you look out the window and see your neighbor's dog leaving a present in your yard once again. He's been so generous this year. And you crawl into bed that night and realize that you haven't even prayed. You haven't even been in the Word for yet another day. You're exhausted. We're exhausted. You don't have time to engage in any of your hobbies. Life seems to get the best of you. It's overwhelming. The country and the world feels like it's falling apart, and your relationship with God feels strained and non-existent. You just can't win. When we arrive at this spot in the calendar, we associate this season with peace. But the season of peace seems the least bit peaceful, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus slept in heavenly peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Aren't we supposed to imagine, aren't we supposed to expect that we'll encounter peace in a season like this? Where is it? Where's the peace at? The season of peace is the least bit peaceful. 
full, the thing that we desire for our weary and drained selves seems so far out of reach. Peaceful is not how you would describe this season. So the problem we're dealing with is, in this season, is peace even possible? In the midst of all this overwhelm, how do we find heavenly peace, which is the series that we're walking into now? But today's question, is peace even possible? In the season of peace, how can I encounter peace? Because how in the world are we going to find peace in the world where we can't have a break from work? How are we going to find peace when there are people around us that we feel like they just need to be decked in the mouth? How are we going to find peace when it feels like the great country that I grew up in seems to be transforming into a monster? How am I going to find peace in the midst of all this stuff that's going on? I should only expect peace in the new heaven and the new earth, right? I mean, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And he said we would have trouble, didn't he? But we get conflicting messages. Because in the same area where he talks about the fact that we have trouble, we will have trouble in this world, he says it so that we can have comfort in the fact that he's overcome the world. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus comes to guide our feet in the way of peace. And when Jesus heals people, he says, go in peace. Jesus said he was leaving peace with his disciples. The apostles preached peace by the name of Jesus. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said at the beginning of his letters, grace and peace be unto you. So peace is all over Scripture, and yet it seems so far out of reach. How in the world are we supposed to get this peace? Which leads someone to wonder, are we talking about the same thing? Is the Bible's version of peace and our version of peace the same definition For example, if I say this sentence to you, my dog is sick. First, you're assuming, man, his vet bills might be stacking up. He's debating whether or not to put the dog down. This is an emotional time for him. The dog is a part of the family. But if I were to say it like this, man, my dog is sick, then then you might be assuming that I'm proudly proclaiming my dog's gnarly moves on the asphalt. Same word, two different meanings. Same word, two different meanings. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Bible's view of peace and our view of peace is that much different. But I am suggesting that maybe the dissonance between the two, maybe the difference between the two is the reason why biblical peace seems so far out of our reach. So I want to explore with you our view of peace and the Bible's view of peace. Let's start with our view. So first off, we have relational peace. This is the world filled with flowers where guns are non-existent. Everyone's hair is at least 12 inches long and Woodstock 
goes on forever. It's a world where no one fights. There's no real housewives shows. There's no conflict. There's no agitation between relationships, relational peace. No anger, no bitterness, no conflict. Peace between two or more individuals. This can be between two best friends like Shabby and Scooby-Doo, or it could just be between you and your mailman. You're not the best of friends, you're acquaintances, but you're at peace with him, unless your latest package is late. But relational peace, which brings us to an internal peace, the second category, tranquility, a calmness, a stillness that you feel. I, I am at peace. I have this inner calm. Or I might say that the lake is at peace. The water is at peace. There's a peace within itself, a lack of turmoil within it. It's the peace you feel when you've got a day off, you crack open your favorite soda, and you just fall asleep on the couch. Peace. Nothing on the to-do list. Internal peace. And so is this the same sort of idea, are these the same sort of ideas that we encounter in Scripture? Well, when we turn to the pages of the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. So turn to your neighbor and say, shalom. 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 Now, when we see this, there's various different uses, but we do see it in Leviticus used to talk about a lack of of turmoil or fighting in a land. And Joshua said he made peace with foreigners, shalom with foreigners. So there's relational peace, right? And then the psalmist said in Psalm 38 that there is no shalom in my bones because of my sin. So there's a sort of internal peace, a personal sort of peace. But... While shalom gets translated as peace, often it doesn't always show up as that word. For example, Jacob said to his son Joseph in Genesis 37, go and see that the flocks are getting along. Go and see that the flocks are shalom, that they're safe and sound. So sort of similar, but a little bit different nuance there. And Joseph once asked of his father's shalom, of his father's health. His brothers replied, our father is in good shalom. And to make it even weirder, Joshua was told by God to build an altar that was unhewn, that was shalom, that was without cracks. So the underlying meaning, at least in the Old Testament, is a sense of wholeness. The stone is flawless. I am healthy. My kids are safe. My nation isn't fighting. Things are as they should be. And when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we're again faced with a whole different word issue because the New Testament's in Greek, Old Testament's in Hebrew. But we do know that the people in the New Testament had knowledge of Hebrew. The Jews had an idea of shalom. But the word changes to irene. But Jesus says, go in peace. 
And when he says this, I don't think he's saying, hey, don't be rowdy, don't get crazy, you know? I think he's saying, go in wholeness. I've healed you. And when Jesus is describing the strong man protecting his possessions, he says that the possessions are shalom. They're safe and sound, similar to how Jacob asked Joseph if the flock was shalom. Irony is used. And while we wouldn't use peace to describe someone's health or how a stone is with or without cracks, I don't think that the biblical view of peace is all that much different from ours. If anything, it's our view plus some. A sense of wholeness. Things are as they should be. Anything is as it should be. Do you have shalom in your life? Are things as they should be? Because when things are out of place, it hurts. There's pain. When things aren't as they should be, our lives are in turmoil. There's a lack of shalom. So we're misaligned, aren't we? Because... Our bodies don't have shalom because of sickness or injury. Our relationships aren't at shalom because we can't figure out how to deal with certain people. Our workplace isn't at shalom because we're short-staffed, we're short-supplied. Our soul isn't in a state of shalom because we're at odds with God in our life. All that's wrong in your life, all that's not as it should be, is a lack of shalom. When we go to Isaiah chapter 9, we encounter God's people being disloyal. And so he gives them over to enemy nations because obviously they don't want anything to do with them. They don't want a protector. They don't demonstrate that. So sure, don't have a protector. Be overtaken. That's fine with me. But because God promised to always take care of them, he breaks through in the hope of the Messiah, the one who was supposed to deliver them from this oppression, make it so they weren't taken over by enemy nations, get them out of slavery, get them out of suffering. That is what Isaiah 9 points to, the Messiah, the chosen one, the chosen king who is supposed to take care of these issues. And he's given these titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what's peculiar about these is that they're supposed to be describing a man, but they sound a lot like God, because how can a man be everlasting? How can a man be invincible? That's because it is God. God is coming as a man to rescue his people. He saw that they were in darkness, and he brings light. He brings shalom that they don't feel by coming to rescue them. No more lack of shalom. I'm coming to save you, my people. But particularly, I want to draw your attention to the title, Prince of Peace. Because I think we read that a lot, or we hear it a lot, but we don't really let it sink in. When we say that Christ, the Messiah, is the Prince of Peace, we're saying that he's the ruler 
of shalom. Shalom is at his command. It's at his beckoning. He rules it. He can make it come at any time. He's the ruler of shalom. He's the ruler of peace. And one might be able to look at this passage that Pastor Christian read for us this morning, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, and assume that it's only talking about political peace, peace from war, peace from slavery, a relational, international peace. But are we really to expect that the ruler of Shalom is only just going to give peace to their international affairs, and that the rest of the nation isn't going to be enjoyable to live in, that the rest of the nation itself won't have shalom, that things won't be as they should be. Because I would think in the prince of pieces, in the ruler of shalom's nation, there would be plentiful food. In his nation, there would be no cracks in the city walls. No paint peeling off. People's houses wouldn't be falling apart. There would be joy in the streets. You wouldn't have to worry about your kids running around town because everything was shalom, not just their international affairs. And you know what that means for us? He wants to bring shalom to your aching body. He wants to bring shalom to all of the issues in your life. You're strained marriage, your estranged family, you can, your struggle with addiction, he can give the world shalom, make it whole, not just ceasing fighting, but making everything as it should be. He's the ruler of peace. He's the God of wholeness. He's the Lord of things as they should be. But if he's the ruler of shalom, and if shalom is something more than we can imagine, but yet it still feels so out of reach, then where is it, Jesus? Jesus, don't you care that I'm in a state of depression and I wake up some mornings wondering why I'm alive? Don't you care that I can't help but constantly dwell on the people that infuriate me no matter how hard I try to fix it? Don't you care that every day I can't seem to catch a break? Don't you care? That my body's hurting? I can't seem to function like a normal human being? Don't you care that things are in my life that aren't as they should be? Don't you care, Prince of Peace, ruler of Shalom? A young boy was separated from his parents at birth. He grew up in a group home thought nobody wanted him. He was depressed. He was angry. He was bullied. Wouldn't you be depressed and angry? On multiple occasions, he had debated ending it all. And one day at lunch, when everybody was getting their mail, he had a letter. He never got mail. But he opened it up. And there was his birth certificate and a letter from his parents. They hadn't just gotten rid of him. They hadn't just left him hanging. Some mix-up had occurred at his birth, and they wanted to be reunited with him. But 
because of all the legal fees, all of the logistics, all of the red tape that they would have to go through, it was going to take five years before he'd be able to be with them. Even though his circumstances hadn't changed at the group home, he was still bullied, he was still lonely. Something changed in him with the hope of what was coming. Never again did he debate ending it all. And sometimes he would sit with the letters from his parents in the days that were really hard, and he would just imagine what it would be like when he was going to be with them. It was like he was able to time travel into the future to be able to experience it now, even though it wasn't there yet. God is bringing his kingdom of shalom, his kingdom of peace, his kingdom of how things are supposed to be eventually. So here's the bad news. We will never have the fullness of shalom while we're here. That's just the reality. But until then, we get tastes of it. We get glimpses of it. We get pieces of it. So where's the peace? It's there in the future, but it's here. You can bring it here. It's there in the future, but you can taste it now. It's there, but it's here. You can have a taste of the peace that is to come. You can have a piece of peace. You can have a piece of peace. But you can't have the whole pie. You can have a piece of peace. Doesn't mean it's any less a part of the pie, but it's only a piece. You can have a piece of cake and eat it too. Just not the whole cake. Because the fullness of shalom is later. Until then, we have glimpses. We have the anticipation of what is to come. He's sending you ways in the meantime to find some shalom. Find some shalom with your relationships. Find some shalom with the world. Find some shalom with the Lord. But not everything will be fixed. He is working. But his work isn't done. So how do we tap into that peace? How do I make sure I get those pieces of peace? Two ways. Number one is you've got to grasp your pieces of peace. You've got to grasp them. I'm not going to dig too deep into this one because this is what's coming, excuse me, in coming weeks. When we talk about Pastor Jessica, Pastor Chris and I, different ways where God wants to bring some shalom in your lives. Shalom with others, shalom with the world, shalom with God. So make sure that you don't let these opportunities pass. Because when stuff is messed up, when stuff isn't as it should be, it's going to take work to fix it. And God wants to work 
with you. He wants to give you the power to find some shalom. So don't let those opportunities pass. In the coming weeks, as we preach about peace, don't let it pass up. Which brings us to our second point, is which I, where I want to dwell today, and that's go to your peace place. Go to your peace place. What am I saying? What do you do in the meantime, in the overwhelm, in the things that God isn't going to fix? Is there anything that Christ offers? <laughs> Am I just supposed to suffer without feeling that he's present? I want to tell you about my peace place. Within the past few weeks, I have felt the overwhelm that I'm sure many of you have felt, the overwhelm of the world being as it should be, the overwhelm of the workload, the overwhelm of life itself. There are many times where I would just rather be on my couch sitting with a tub of banana ice cream and pretending all of the things in my life didn't exist, right? But that's not the case. And in a time of prayer with the Lord, I felt like I was whisked away to a lake, a lake where the waters were still, where nature surrounded me, trees, just beautiful scenery, and there I am in the boat, and the Prince of Peace is in the boat too, and I felt him say something to me to this effect. Jared, you can come here whenever you want. This is a picture of what's coming. And when I sat there, it felt like all of the worries in my life got a little bit lighter. Like I was transported into the future to get a glimpse of what was coming to realize that he is going to fix everything, just not yet. But if I hadn't gone to the place of peace, if I hadn't went to dwell with the Prince of Peace, I wouldn't be able to endure the in-between. So I felt like he was implying to me, Jared, so many times, you've just ran past this place of peace that's available to you. You could have just stopped and came and sit in this, sat in this boat with me where there are no worries. Where the realization is that I am going to fix things. Where the burdens you're carrying are taken off of your shoulders. And I have two degrees that can tell you what the answer is of where to go to find peace. It's Jesus Christ and yet I keep skating past I keep skating past in the busyness of life, being convinced that if I just go a little harder, then I can find my own peace, that I'm my own prince of peace. Are there any other masquerading princes and princesses of peace in the room? Am I the only one? Go to your place of peace. This is different 
We've done really good at teaching people in the evangelical church how you have to read your Bible, you have to talk to God, give him all of your requests, but we haven't done so great at teaching you how to sit with the Lord, how to just be with the Lord, how to actually listen to the Lord, to listen to the Prince of Peace. So I want to give an opportunity to you for that this morning. Pastor Christian is going to come up, going to lead us through a hymn once again. And I want to make space for you to encounter the Prince of Peace. So this is going to be different. Maybe something will or may not happen to you. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ is present in this room right now. The Prince of Shalom, the ruler of Shalom, is here right now and he wants to remind you of what's coming, that everything will be fixed. And in the meantime, you can come to him. You can come to him and feel your burdens lightened. So as the music plays this morning, the altar will be open, but... You can take whatever posture you feel comfortable with. If that is at the altar or if that is in the pew, it's up to you. But I do ask that you close your eyes and seek out the presence of the Prince of Peace. Maybe you go sit in a boat with him, like me. Maybe you don't see anything at all. Totally up to you and how God has designed you, how Christ wants to encounter you. But Christ is present here in this room right now. The question isn't that he, if he is present or not. It's if you are going to recognize his presence. He's available to you. He wants to take you to the peace place. So my hope is that this wouldn't be something that just is only today you would go to your peace place with him every day. In that moment where you just feel so overwhelmed with work or with the kids or your family or whatever it is, that you could go to your peace place and have your burdens lightened. So close your eyes and encounter the Prince of Peace. Bring your burdens to him and see what the ruler of Shalom has to say to you.